0: You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series Seerah Life of the Prophet by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com/kalaminstitute. institute walhamdulillah <laughs> wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa <clears throat> InshaAllah continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi nabawiyyah the prophetic biography In the previous uh, few sessions, we've been talking about the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu wasalam, The migration from Mecca to Medina The epic, the great journey, the landmark event uh, of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Leaving Mecca and migrating to the blessed, the illuminated city of Medina what we talked about in the last couple of sessions more specifically was the actual journey itself, the departure from Mecca and some of the initial experiences the Prophet ﷺ had, such as the three days, three nights that were spent in the Ghār of Thawr and then the departure from the Ghār of Thawr, the event of Suraqah bin Malik and eventually even talking about the Prophet ﷺ's interaction with certain very unique individuals on his way uh, to Medina. Where we've reached at this particular point now is that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ and his travel companion Abu Bakr as-Siddiq رضي الله Anhu, عنه uh, have neared the suburb of Medina which is known as Quba. And we're all familiar with Quba as well. Whenever anyone goes and visits uh, the Masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, they visit the city of Medina. They also end up visiting Quba and the Masjid of Quba, as that was part of the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu The Quran talks about the virtue of these people, and the Prophet of Allah sallallahu spoke about the virtue of the Masjid of Quba. And technically speaking, a lot of times it seems. this is not so obvious to a lot of people, and they just assume that naturally, the first masjid built in the history of this ummah. So we're not talking about the first masjid built in the history of mankind and humanity, right? Of course, we've talked about that in the earlier, earlier sessions of the seerah. You'll find them on the seerah podcast, where we talk about the history of the Kaaba itself. But the first masjid built in the history of this ummah, the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ, the, foundation, the foundations laid at the time of the Prophet ﷺ was not actually Al-Masjidun Nabawiyya Sharif, the Prophet's mosque in Medina, but it was actually the masjid in Quba that was built before. And we've, we've kind of alluded to Quba in the past as well, Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abu Salama radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Ummu radiallahu ta'ala anha all these different er, companions who were migrating from Mecca to Medina, they all stopped over in the city of Quba, the suburb of Quba, if you will. In our kind of social context, we're familiar with the idea of a suburb. So think of Quba as a suburb of Medina. So they were all stopping off there. And in fact, Quba kind of became a, a makeshift Darul Hijrah until the Prophet ﷺ would arrive and then finally settle the Muslims permanently. So many of these immigrants from Mecca to Medina were actually stopping over and temporarily residing in Quba. <clears throat> and the Muslims of Quba were, are from amongst the Ansar. So when we say the Ansar, that is inclusive of not only the Muslims of Medina, but that is also inclusive of the Muslims of Quba. And so they were just as hospitable as the Muslims in Medina. And so they they embraced and welcomed all of these immigrants with open arms, and they welcomed them into their homes, and they were staying with them and residing with them. So now, when the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr ﷺ near the city of Quba, the guide actually leaves from there because that was his contract that he was going to take them up to this particular place. Some of the narrations which are very interesting um, this is narrated by Abdurrahman bin Uwain bin Sa'ida. He says that a group of as many men from amongst my people, he's from the Ansar, he says, who were from the companions of the Prophet Wasallam. So some of the older Muslim men of my people, they said that, لَمَّا بَلَغَنَا مَخْرَجُ النَّبِيِّ ﷺ Makkah, that when we heard about the news, when we heard the news about the Prophet ﷺ having departed from Makkah, وَتَوَكَّفْنَا قُدُومَهُ We started awaiting his arrival. And he says in order to await his arrival, نَخْرُجُ إِذَا صَلَّيْنَا الصُّبْحَ إِلَىٰ ظَاهِرِ حُرَّتِنَا He says that every morning after we had prayed Salatul Fajr, we would go out in the morning and we would wait for the Prophet ﷺ until it became extremely hot outside. Like basically wait till noon. So all the way from 6 a.m. from 7 a.m. after praying Salatul Fajr, we'd go out, not just out of Medina, but outside of Quba, and we would just wait there outside until noontime. نَنْتَظِرُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ فَوَاللَّهِ مَا نَبْرَحُ حَتَّى تَغْلِبَنَا الشَّمْسُ عَلَى الظِّلَالِ فَإِذَا لَمْنَجِدْ ظِلًّا دَخَلْنَا وَذَلِكَ فِي أَيَّامٍ harrah. He says that, والله, I swear to Allah, we would not move from our place until finally the sun would force us to seek out shade. And we couldn't find any shade. So eventually we were forced to basically go back home. And he says these were very hot days, they were days of the summer. <laughs> Until that day, that blessed day came, when the Prophet ﷺ would actually arrive in Quba. We went out as we normally used to go out, and we sat, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, حَتَّى إِذَا لَمْ ظِلٌّ دَخَلْنَا بُيُوتَنَا Until when we finally needed shade, because we were burning under the scorching sun, and we didn't have any shade to cover us, we finally went back into our homes, and the Prophet ﷺ arrived, Exactly at the time, حِنَ دَخَلْنَا البيوت, As soon as we started getting back home, the Prophet appeared on the horizon. And the narrations talk about the fact that there was a man from the Yahud who was sitting on top of one of the roofs of the homes, And he says that I was looking out into the distance until the point where the mirage kind of starts to appear like in the heat in the desert when you look out and eventually when it starts to kind of glimmer away in the distance you see that glimmer and that shine, the mirage. And he said all of a sudden I saw two people walking up riding up on their animals approaching in the distance. And I realized. The Jewish man says that I realized that this is exactly the man that these people come out here every single day, and that they are waiting for. So he's he's فصرخ بِأَعْلَى صَوْتِهِ يا بني هَذَا جَدُّكُمْ قَدْ جَاءَ. And he says, "I screamed out in you know the loudest voice possible. Ya bani Qayla. that's what they used to refer to the Arab of Yathrib, the Ansar. Ya bani هذا He said, "This is your this is he basically used the the, the term this is your grandfather to be respectful." Um, so he said, this is your grandfather. I mean, this is the elder that you have been awaiting, and he has finally arrived. So he says, we all ran out from our homes. And some of the narrations talk about the fact that we grabbed our shield and swords. And that was to basically kind of, you know, be uh, you know, be presentable and to kind of offer like an official welcome to the Prophet Sallallahu ﷺ. And فَخَرَجْنَا إِلَىٰ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ ﷺ وَهُوَ فِي ذِلِّ he said, "By the time we reached there, the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi had already sat down under the shade of a date palm tree. He found its tree and he had sat down underneath there. He'd been traveling for a very long time." and along with him was Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu but the interesting thing was Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala and the prophet sallallahu were of similar age we've talked about this in some of the early biographical sessions that we've had about the islam of Abu Bakr when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu accepted islam we talked about how he was you know some some historians say 2 years younger or 2 years older than the prophet sallallahu alayhi sallam. but in in either case he was very close to the age of the prophet sallallahu alayhi and he says, الله الله Most of us had not seen the Prophet before this. How many people came out? So some of the narrations talk about that over 500 ansar came out to greet the Prophet Now what, do you, what can you already tell about that? First and foremost is the fact that uh, the total number of people That had come to Mecca, the season of Hajj, to embrace Islam and give the oath, the pledge of allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ. They did not number higher than seventy or eighty people. So there are about 70 or 80 individuals. Okay, many people had uh, performed the hijrah at this time. Many Muslims, there weren't that many Muslims to begin with, maybe a couple of dozen Muslims in Mecca who remained, who migrated out to Medina. Also some of the Muslims from Habasha, from East Africa, Abyssinia had started to come over. But at this particular point in time, only a few like individuals, scattered individuals had come from there. The majority of the community would actually arrive later. So even if you tally this whole number up together, you have maybe about a hundred Muslims. So where do the... and The narration says 500 of the Ansar came out. And the narration tells us that it was primarily the men who came out, and some young boys and some children. But the women folk were still in the homes. And the narration will talk about the women folk and how they welcomed the Prophet Wasallam. So the women, a lot more of the children, are still in the homes. These are just 500 plus men or young boys who've come out to greet the Prophet Wasallam. So that means that there's maybe over a thousand Muslims at this particular point. Alright, where did so many people come from? There's about a hundred, a hundred and fifty, let's be very, oh, let's overestimate, hundred and fifty people who, uh, seventy or eighty of them were the uh, the early Ansar, the original Ansar, who had come to Mecca and taken the oath of allegiance with the Prophet Sallallahu Maybe, let's just say another 50, 60, 70 people have migrated to Medina up till this particular point. That puts the number at 150. Where did the 500 plus come from then? This was, and this is something I've talked about previously, this was the fruit of the efforts of Musa'b bin Umayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The young man, the young man who was the pride of Makkah, who was the celebrity of Makkah, that same young man grew up in the lap of luxury, accepted Islam, was tortured by his own parents to leave Islam. That same young man who had migrated off to Abyssinia but returned back to the company of the Prophet ﷺ, that young man. And the Prophet ﷺ sent him to Medina to teach there, to preach there, to lead the people there. That young man had made such an unbelievable, remarkable effort, at the tender age of maybe 19, 20, 21, that he had converted four or five, maybe even more, four or five hundred people to Islam. And of course there were the early, uh, some of the other early Ansar were also very key in regards to this effort, but he was kind of the head of the da'wah project there in Medina. And so you see what remarkable efforts he had made And now it's, better for, it's easier for us to understand Why he was so beloved to the Prophet ﷺ So nevertheless 500 plus people come out To greet and to meet the Prophet ﷺ But as I was saying earlier Maybe about at the most 150 of these 500 people Who have come out to greet the Prophet ﷺ Only about 150 of them have seen him before Everybody else has never seen the Prophet ﷺ before. So he says, الله الله So nobody had seen him before. A lot of, a lot of us hadn't seen him. And that's kind of the thing, you know, at that point in time, everyone's just so excited and so, you know, hanging on every single, you know, word and every single little step and instance and nuance. That nobody's really talking to each other or asking each other, and also maybe there was some shyness in that fact that they didn't want to be like, So, hey, hey, which one is the Prophet, right? So, nobody wanted to be that guy, right? Because then you can imagine six months later, be like, Guess what this guy said one time? He didn't even know who the Prophet was. So, nobody really wanted to ask anyone else. So, he said, We just kind of kept watching, and nobody really knew. Waraki bahunas And people were riding up, meaning that people started coming up and following the Prophet ﷺ and huddling around him, like it was becoming a scene. And not because everyone's huddling around, everyone who arrives now goes and joins, you know, the, the, the group of people. And eventually, nobody really knows for certain who the Prophet ﷺ is. And he says, وَمَا يَعْرِفُونَهُ مِنَ Bakr." They couldn't tell the difference which one is the Prophet, which one is Abu Bakr. Another narration actually says many of us started to assume that it was Abu Bakr who was the Prophet in fact. Because what happened was that the Prophet went and quietly sat down under the shade of the date palm tree, and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala was kind of standing or uh, you know there. Um, and we just figured that the Prophet was kind of sitting a little bit further back he wasn't as noticeable, and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was sitting out in front or standing. We just figured it was him, until he says, "Hatta zala zala an Sallallahu Wasallam Until the sun started to kind of move, a little bit time went by, and the shade started to shift away from where the Prophet alayhi was sitting. Fakama Abu Bakr anhu. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu jumped up immediately. And then Abu Bakr may Allah be pleased with him took his shawl off and held it over the head of the Prophet ﷺ to keep the sun away from him. فعرفناه And then we realized, we recognized who the Prophet ﷺ was. In and, of, in and of itself, there's a profound lesson in this that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was breathtaking. He was unbelievable. He was amazing when you were in his company. But the Prophet was also so humble, so humble. He didn't walk in and, you know, have, wasn't wearing uh, a name tag, wasn't, you know, attracting attention to himself, calling attention to himself, yelling and barking orders at people. What are you doing? Where do I get this? Who's gonna take care of this? The Prophet Wasallam was so humble and quiet that a lot of times people wouldn't recognize or realize who the Prophet Wasallam was. When it, it's mentioned oftentimes even later in Medina. Medina is established, a masjid of the Prophet is built, established. And when people would arrive from outside of town, when travelers would arrive to find the Prophet Wasallam, and they would walk into the masjid of the Prophet, and they would see a group of people all sitting around, they could not distinguish and recognize oftentimes who was Muhammad Rasulullah. Peace and blessings be upon him. They couldn't find him. And they would have to ask, which one is the messenger? That was the humility of the Prophet ﷺ. He was one of the people. You know, it's very easy for us to talk about be a man of the people. And it's almost become a cliche at this point. It's become a slogan, it's a cliche. It's a cheap little slogan that we throw around. Be a man of the people, be one of the people, be amongst the people. The Prophet ﷺ was amongst the people. We have to ask ourselves, do, if we end up in a position of leadership or in a position of prominence, do we truly still act like one of the people? This is a great sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that again is lost. It's something that's lost on us. We're so sometimes affected by the outside world that we are a part of. That you know VIP status has entered into every facet of even our communities and and, and the way we conduct ourselves and the way we operate. But being with the people, from amongst the people, there's a profound, profound deep wisdom on that in, in regards to that. And that is the true sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. He was one of the people. To the point where you couldn't tell him apart, you couldn't extingu- uh, distinguish him from the rest of the people. And so that's a profound quality of the Prophet ﷺ. Secondly, what lesson do we learn from this? We, what we learn from this at the same time, is that Abu Bakr رضي الله anhu, Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, Abu Bakr and the likes of Abu Bakr, These senior companions, the senior sahaba, they didn't just tag along with the Prophet ﷺ and figure just being along with him, just being around him is good enough for me. I've done my good deed for the day. I sat next to the Prophet ﷺ, Islam is just gonna automatically just kind of rub off on me. right? I'll smell like Islam after a little while, and that's good enough for me. I'll just make sure that I sit close enough to him to where I get in the picture as well, Islam. Right, that that wasn't their attitude. Think about how resembling, how similar the character, how distinguished, how honorable the character, the behavior, the conduct of Abu Bakr must have been that you could actually confuse him with the Prophet ﷺ. Think about that fact. If there was nothing else, even if you hadn't seen the Prophet ﷺ, the character of the Prophet ﷺ was so amazing. That at the very least you'd be able to distinguish him from everybody else through his character. But what if everybody else is vying and trying and striving and succeeding and implementing and living that same character of the Prophet ﷺ? Think about what that the the what type of environment that creates, where you can't tell him apart because he doesn't prop himself up on some pedestal, and then you also can't tell him apart because everybody else around him is trying to be as amazing as he is, in terms of character, and humility, and dignity, and respect, and consideration, and kindness, and honor, and integrity, and honesty, that you can't tell him apart from everybody else. It's a true testament to not only the character of the Prophet Wasallam that you couldn't tell him apart from everybody else, and it's also a true testament to the character of the companions Radiallahu anhum. That they didn't take their religion for granted. They didn't just figure, I said, La ilaha illallah, wa la ilaha illallah illallah, wa wa Muhammad al-rasoolah. I made sacrifices, I gave up my home, I did all of this. I'm sitting next to the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Dude, I've done my job. What more do you want from me? Right? We say that, like, well, what more do you want from me? I've done all of this. What more do you want from me? The Sahaba didn't have this type of an attitude. But the Sahaba really strove to become. What was, what was the ideal? And that was the Messenger wasallam. And so that is another profound lesson that we learn from this. So now, the Prophet of Allah wasallam, he's... Now when everybody arrives there, the Prophet wasallam, gets up and he starts you know, advancing and everybody's kind of around him and walking behind him. And they're proceeding into the city of Quba. Imam Ahmad rahimahullah ta'ala and his Musnad, Imam Bayhaqi also mentions this narration that as they were Anas bin Malik radiyallahu ta'ala anhu relates that as the Prophet sallallahu was arriving into the city of Quba he said inni la as'a fil I was amongst a group of young boys and we were running behind the Prophet sallallahu and the rest of the companions yaquluna and we were all saying jaa Muhammad jaa Muhammad um, and we kept like kind of yelling and screaming this, and celebrating, walking in with the Prophet Wasallam into the city of Quba. He says, فَأَسْعَى وَلَا أَرَى And I was running and I couldn't see anything else. Little boys running, all these people riding and walking, we couldn't see anything. ثُمَّ يَقُولُونَ جَاءَ مُحَمَّدٍ Then we would say, Muhammad has come, Muhammad has come. And we kept running and we couldn't see anything. Until finally... We kept running through the crowd, and we came upon the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr and we finally saw them. And he he remarks about how this was such an unbelievable day and such an unbelievable experience that it happened in my childhood, but I can't forget this day. And he says that there were there must have been at least five hundred men from the Ansar who were riding with the Prophet ﷺ, and they were saying in taliqah aminani Please continue on. Continue on. You will be peaceful here and we will do whatever it is that you need us to do here. So the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, continued on in and the narration talks about that even the women from their homes started climbing up onto their homes looking for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa and so now the scene Anas bin Malik describes 500 men walking with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam little boys and children running around screaming jaa muhammad jaa muhammad women are now starting to climb up on top of their homes saying ayyuhum huwa, huwa which one is he which one is he Anas bin Malik radiyallahu ta'ala anhu says "Fama raina mandaran bihi yawm'idhin. we never ever saw a day ever like that this was one of the most unique days we've ever experienced. He says, He says in the riwayah of Bayhaqi, I saw the Prophet the day he arrived in Medina, and I saw the Prophet on the day he passed away. I've never seen two days, I've never experienced two days that were like that. That the the happiness that we enjoyed that the, just the sheer, you know, uh, elation that we experienced on the day the Prophet entered into Medina, we never experienced happiness and celebration like that day. And then I also remember the day the Prophet passed away, and we never experienced sadness, and grief, and sorrow like we did on the day the Prophet passed away. So this was that day. In the riwayah of Sahihain, the pro, uh, barra, uh, barra narrates from Abu Bakr radiAllahu taalaahu and the Hadith of the Hijra. Abu Bakr radiAllahu taalaahu relates. He says, "خرج الناس حين قديمنا المدينة في الطرق وعلى البيوت." He said, people started flocking out people were pouring out of medina onto the streets on top of their homes the day that we arrived in medina wal ghilman wal khadam yaqulun and the boys and the children and the servants everybody were saying in unison allahu akbar allahu akbar jaa rasulullah allahu akbar allahu akbar jaa muhammadun allahu akbar allahu akbar Jā' muhammadun allahu akbar allahu akbar Jā' rasulullah and he said they kept repeating this over and over again praising glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they kept saying, the Messenger of Allah has come, Muhammad the Messenger of Allah has come. The riwayah of Imam Bayhaqi is the famous narration um, that mentions... That, لَمَّا قَدِمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم الْمَدِينَةِ That when the Prophet صلى الله arrived in Medina, جَعَلَ الْنِسَى وَالصِّبْيَانِ يَقُولْنَا That the women and the children were saying, were singing, طَلَعَ الْبَدْرُ عَلَيْنَا مِنْ ثَنِيَاتِ الْوَدَاعِ وَجَبَ الشُكْرُ عَلَيْنَا مَا دَعَا لِلَّهِ دَاعِ uh, Ibn Taymiyyah Ta'ala kind of talking about this particular narration, he mentions that this was more so recited, this was more likely probably said or recited when the Prophet returned from the journey of Tabuk. Nevertheless, the narration mentions this in the books of uh, in the chapter about the Hijrah as well, that the women and the children were saying, Tala al Badru that the full moon has risen upon us, Minfaniyatil from the valleys of Wada, al And gratitude has become mandatory and obligatory upon us. As long as there is a single person who is calling out to Allah, as long as there is a single person praying and saying the name of Allah, gratitude will be mandatory upon the people of Medina. Because as long as people will say the name of Allah, they will say the name of Muhammadur Rasulullah, and we were blessed to be the host of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa So they were singing this and praising and glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Ibn Ishaq, in his seerah relates, فَنَزَلَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa فِيمَا يَذْكُرُونَ يَعْنِي حِينَ نَزَلَ بِقُبَى when the Prophet ﷺ now arrived in the suburb of Quba, he stopped at the home of Kulthum bin Al-Hidam, who, was, who belonged to the tribe of Banu Amr bin Auf. So Banu Amr bin Auf was the major tribe that lived in Quba, and the Prophet ﷺ stayed with them. And it was the house of a woman, Kulthum bin Hidam. The Prophet ﷺ stayed in that particular home. Some of the narrations mentioned rather, بَلْنَزَلَ عَلَىٰ سَعَدْ bin khaythama rather he stayed in the house of sa'ad bin khaithama some of them kind of reconciled this by saying that he actually was residing they had prepared a place for him to stay in the home of qudhum bin bin al-hidm but during the daytime he would go and he would sit to receive people to talk to people to meet with people he would sit in the home so the meeting space was the home of sa'ad bin khaithama and Sa'ad bin Khaythama, the reason why the Prophet ﷺ picked that place as a place to be able to meet with the people was that Sa'ad bin Chaythama was single. He was single, he didn't have any family. And all the Sahaba, the the, the immigrants, all the Muhajirun who were arriving there to Medina, who were single, who did not have families with them, were all staying in the house of Sa'ad bin Khaythama. So that was kind of designated as a place where all the single brothers could stay and yuqalu li baytihi baytul uzab his house was called the house of the single men so good name for an msa baytul uzab right so it was a house of single men all right uh, and so abu bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was staying with khubayb bin isaf who was who belonged to the tribe of banul harith bin al khazraj um, and some other narrations mention that he was staying with khadijah ibn Zayd. so this is now the prophet sallallahu arrives there and he's staying in the house of, house of Kulthum. And he is conducting just meetings and meeting and greeting people, talking to people in the house of Sa'ad bin Khaythama. A very interesting narration, before I kind of move on from here, is that Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu relates. He, Ibn Ishaq talks about that Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu stayed in Makkah three days and three nights after the Prophet ﷺ departed. Basically taking care of all the responsibilities, the wada'i'ah, the wadi'ah, the amanat, the, the trusts that were given. People used to deposit their goods and their money with the Prophet ﷺ for safekeeping. So he was distributing it and he was giving it back out to the people. When he finally was done with it, he left and he joined the Prophet ﷺ also in the house of Quthum bin al-Hidm. Ali radiallahu ta'ala who stayed in Quba for about maybe a night or two nights. He says... He tells a very interesting story. He says that there was a woman who lived in Quba. She lived by herself. She didn't have any husband or family. She was a Muslim woman. And he says, I saw a man who would come at night, like when it was first nighttime, would first fall, like Isha time. A man would come, he would knock at the door, Babaha. فَتَخْرُجُ إِلَيْهِ She would come out and answer the door. He would give her something, like a bag, he would give her a bag or a satchel, and she would take it and then she would go back inside. So he says, فَاسْتَرَبْتُ بِشَأْنِهِ So I was, this just seemed kind of peculiar, seemed kind of strange, like I, I didn't know what to make of this. So he said, فَقُلْتُ لها, So I asked her, يَا أَمَتَ اللَّهِ you know, like we say, Ya Abdullah, slave of Allah. He said, Ya Amat Allah, oh woman. Man had the lady yadribu alaiki, babaki, kulla lay latin. Fatu, fatu, jina ilayhi, fayyuatiki, uh, fayyuatiki shayan, la adri mahua, wa anti imra atun muslimatun la zaujalaki. He says that who is this? Every night he comes to your home. He knocks your door. You come outside, answer the door. He gives you something. You take it and you go back inside. You're a Muslim woman. You don't have any relatives, any family members that live with you. Just what's going on here? So she says, Hada Sahel bin Hunayf." This is Sahel bin Hunayf, and he knows any imra'atun la Ahadali. I am a woman who lives by herself and I don't have any other family. I don't have anybody to look after me, to take care of me. عَدَى عَدَى when evening time comes, when the sun sets and it starts to get dark outside, he goes and amongst his people, his tribe, he goes to where they keep the idols and one by one he keeps picking off their idols. He takes the idol, he smashes it up and they're made out of wood. So after he smashes it up, he comes to me and he brings me the wood that is there, that's left over from the smashed up idol. And he gives it to me and he says, "Ihtatibi bihada, Use this to burn your fire. He brings me firewood because he knows I'm cold, I don't have anybody else to go out to get me firewood, to earn a living, to do anything. So he comes to me every night, smashes up these idols, brings the wood, and gives it to me. And he says, "Here you go, Muslim sister. Please take this wood and burn your fire." فكان علي رضي الله يأثر ذلك من شأن سهل بن حنيف حين Ali bin Abi Talib رضي الله تعالى عنه, towards the end of his life when he went to Iraq to Kufa, Sahel bin Hunayf came with him as well and resided there with. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when Sahel bin Hunayf passed away, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to tell this story. Do y'all know who Sahel bin Hunayf was? Let me tell you who Sahel bin Hunayf was. And he would tell this story that he knew about a Muslim sister that was by herself. And he looked after this Muslim sister. And he made sure he brought her wood every single day to burn her fire throughout the cold desert night. And he used to talk about this after Sahel bin Hanif passed away, not to compromise his ikhlas or his deed for the sake of Allah, but after he passed away, he would talk about this. You know, so again you see a couple of things, powerful lessons. All the sahaba at that time, these were all immigrants, poor, hand to mouth, and and everyone was basically barely getting by. But the sense of community was so strong, See, faith, we, a lot of times, you know, just today, earlier, I was talking to the students about the fact that faith is oftentimes a result or a byproduct of community. Right? Community can help reinforce your faith. But also understand that community is a byproduct of faith. If we are true believers, it will result in us naturally being a community that bonds, that is connected, and that cares and looks after one another. The fact that we, are, we don't behave that way right now shows a serious fundamental lack of faith. This was the faith of the Sahaba رضي عنهم, and it brought them together as a community. And it made no difference who, every, who that person was, where they were from, where they were coming from, what was going on with them. They looked after one another, they tended after one another. You see also the element of, the, of, of chivalry. You know a lot of times, we, especially with the students, we, we talk about the technicalities and the fiqh and the adab and the sunnah and the etiquette of gender relations and gender interaction. It's, there's a lot that we have to figure out in regards to this. And a lot of times it can be very problematic. But we also have to understand that there is a beautiful balance in the middle. That the etiquette and the the rules of gender interaction in Islam don't require us to basically, you know, disavow any knowledge of the other gender, to completely not acknowledge the fact that they even exist. Right? At the same time, we are at the opposite extreme, most of the time our communities, where there is very inappropriate interaction between the genders. But also understand that recognizing and realizing who is in the community and looking after them and tending to their needs, it does not violate the rules of gender interaction. In fact, it's an obligation. As an ummah, as a community. And we see this man going and giving this firewood to the sister, to this woman at the door and then walking away from there, in a very dignified fashion. But think about also the consequences of this brother either on one end like I talked about, lacking faith and not looking after his Muslim sister, what would happen to her? Who would tend to her? Who would look after her? Who would help her? Or if this brother was practicing such a high level of piety, that this brother had become more pious than Islam itself, to the point where he's like, no, astaghfirullah, that's a woman. Like what do you mean astaghfirullah, It's a woman? Why is being a woman astaghfirullah? She does not commit a sin by being a woman, right? It's not najasa, wal'ayadu billah, right? But he understands that I have a responsibility towards my Muslim sister. I have a responsibility toward everyone in my community. And if it's a Muslim sister, it's a Muslim sister, right? So we also see the balance that the sahaba had in terms of deen, in terms of community. And the other thing is that we see Ali bin Abi Talib r.a. talking about him talking about Him, and praising Him, and telling people stories about Him. And what an inspiration it is that 1400 years later, we're sitting here halfway across the world in Irving, Texas, reading about the good deed of Sahil bin Hunayf. And what an inspiration it is. What type of legacy will we leave behind? What type of legacy will we leave behind? Will our good deeds be remembered by people? Will our kindness be appreciated by people? Will people make dua for us? For the good deeds, the kindness that we showed to them. And these uh, and nobody even knew about this good deed until Ali radiallahu talanu tells the story. When? This is happening at the time of Hijrah. So that means Ali radiallahu ta'ala is telling the story in Iraq and Kufa, meaning this story is being told 35 years later. It wasn't some high profile deed. He didn't build some masjid or minaret or something of that nature. He didn't do something grand and huge, high profile. Right Press conference, media attention, he did a small little good deed. But such a powerful good deed that 35 years later, sitting in Kufa, Ali ibn Abi Talib, a man whose caliber is unmatched. Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying, I remember this man doing the most unbelievable good deed. These were the Muslims. You know, a lot of times we talk about like, what I would give to be in the company of the Prophet ﷺ. Remember what Abdullah bin Masood said. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose these people. subhanahu wa ta'ala sallallahu sallam." Allah chose these people for the companionship of His beloved Messenger Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon Him. Because they were, look at the qualities that these people exhibited. So now, going on from here, the, the, the scholars of Seerah differ basically uh, Ibn Ishaq relates in one narration of the seerah. The seerah of Ibn Hisham also states this that the Prophet stayed there in Quba amongst the people of Banu Amr bin Auf Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and that's when he is during that time he established. And then Friday was the day that the Prophet of Allah departed from there, and so he stayed with them about four days. So that's one narration. However, in another narration that Ibn Ishaq also mentions from Abdullah bin Idris, that the Prophet ﷺ stayed there amongst the people of Quba. Uh, يَزْعُمُونَ أنه عليه السلام أقام فيهم ثمانية ليلة. He stayed for 18 days. Another narration which uh, Ibn Kathir gives preference to, is that Imam Bukhari, Rahmullah Ta'ala, in his Sahih, he mentions the fact that from, from the Riwayah, from the Tariq of Zuhri on Urwa, that the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa stayed amongst the people of Quba, bida'a laylatan. He stayed for ten oddsome nights. Basically, he stayed for about a week and a half. Ten days, twelve days, thirteen days. He stayed for a little less than two weeks. Anywhere between ten days and two weeks. That the Prophet ﷺ stayed in between there some way. And there's a whole slew of other narrations that say 13 days, 12 days, 14 days. Some go as far as saying like three weeks. But the majority of the scholars have basically taken the riwayah of Imam Bukhari. It comes through a very solid chain as well, that the Prophet ﷺ stayed there for about 10 or 12 days. And that basically is what makes sense. So there was one Friday that occurred there in Quba. And then before the next Friday, basically on the next Friday, so if the Prophet ﷺ arrived on a Monday, he stayed there from Monday all the way till the, not that Friday, but the next following Friday morning. Alright, so that brings the, the tally up to about what? 12 days. So the Prophet ﷺ stayed for about these 12 days and then he departed on the morning of Friday on his way into the city of Medina. And during this time that the Prophet ﷺ was there in this in the city of Quba, in the suburb of Quba, that is also when the Masjid of Quba was established. And of course it mentions the virtue of Ammar bin Yasir رضي الله تعالى عنهما, that he was one of the first people who came and started to construct the Masjid of Quba. And Allah ta'ala granted him the honor of doing so but the Masjid of Quba was established at this time the Prophet ﷺ prayed in this Masjid and from there on that morning of Friday he departs from Quba to on his way into the city of Medina and inshallah this is where we'll start off uh, the next following session inshallah the Prophet ﷺ's actual arrival into the city of Medina itself he prays Salatul Jumu'ah on his way into Medina and then he arrives in Medina and we'll talk about the rest of the the, basically the conclusion of the hijrah where the Prophet ﷺ uh, or rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala divinely selects the location of the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ where and how the Prophet ﷺ himself resides as a guest temporarily until a home is, the masjid is constructed and a home is constructed for him and we'll talk about the rest of that in the next following session may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard remember the fact that we talked today about the powerful lessons in terms of building and establishing the community. You know, um, we, we, we read this even today, uh, and this is something we'll talk about later, but with the students at the seminary, we were reading the narration in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ about the haninul jidha, that the, the tree trunk that the Prophet ﷺ used to lean against before the mimber was constructed that when the member was made and the Prophet got up from there and he sat on the mimbar and how that tree trunk began to that stump began to cry and moan. Faqadat an صَلَى sallallahu alayhi because he missed the Prophet. Al Hassan al Basri, rahma Taala, used to say to people when lecturing about the seerah, he would say to people that a tree trunk, a tree stump, would cry at longing and missing the Prophet ﷺ, out of its love for the Prophet ﷺ. What is wrong with us? That we don't long to meet the Prophet ﷺ, that we don't have as much love for the Prophet ﷺ as a tree stump had. And remember the narration of Anas bin Malik, says the most joyous day in our lives was the day the Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina, and the saddest day was the day the Prophet ﷺ passed away. Build a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through knowing the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Read his life, read his seerah, read it to your children. You know, when Fridays come along, and just, it doesn't even have to be Friday, send salawat daily, regularly on the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa Talk about him, learn about him, read about him, strive to be like him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us, uh, us all the ability to be more and more like the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa Subhanallah wa bihamdihi Subhanakallah wa bihamdik Nashad wa la ilaha illa anta Astaghfirullah wa natubu ilayk